the bondage of sin anymore. I'm still amazed that Jesus would pay a debt I could not afford. I've never got past it. I'm free at last from the sin that made me a slave. I still feel as much as when he first touched me. I'm still amazed. I'm amazed to know how far God would go to save a lost man free. I'm still in all that He gave it all for an old sinner like me. I've never got over that this day was shoulder by sin all its disgrace. Oh. 
Because my hope is in Jesus. I'm trusting in his word. Because my hope is in Jesus. Don't, well, the Bible still said today. Is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow, not next week, but if you're lost and don't know Christ, uh, you know, it's not difficult uh, getting saved. It's difficult getting folks lost. That's why the song was just singing about a while ago, too. Glad I got lost that I could be saved. You'll never know that you need a Savior until you get lost. But when you get lost, man, uh, you'll, you'll want to run to Calvary. You'll want to run to the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't see anybody die lost and go to a place called hell. And by the way, God doesn't either. And he made a way, and that's why we can trust his word, and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It ain't on our efforts and our good deeds and our church attendance and our membership and all that stuff, tithing. Man, it's on a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And that is crystal clear through the word of God. And uh, this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles with me. You might find a little bit, if you were here with us on Wednesday night, it might be a little more difficult to find this passage in the book of Amos in the Old Testament. Amos chapter number 7 is uh, where we're going to look, and that's toward the tail end of the Old Testament. Of course, we're going to look at here, and I think about the minor. They're, they're referred to this section as the minor prophets. And I don't really like that, and I know in, in biblical uh, academics, I guess you could say, if you go to Bible college or whatever, they're going to throw Jonah and, and Nahum and Micah and, and the little Habakkuk, all those, they're going to throw them into the group, which is called the minor prophets. And I get what they're saying but it wasn't a minor message that Amos had. He had a major message, as all of them did. And it's part of the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible. And Amos chapter number 7 is where we're going to look. And I'm, we'll try not to go back and, 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 and hit a whole lot. I give a lot of info on Wednesday night. But it's worth getting this to understand sort of what's going on. But God, God sort of dealt with my heart here in a passage I'd read over this multiple times in the last week or so, and I never really saw this till yesterday, and so I want to bring a thought, and it might take a few minutes before I give you the title of the message, but i got a lot of background that I want to give to you, but when you study this out here, basically Amos is, is ministering during a time of stability and strength and security. It's a great time of prosperity during these days, because he prophesied during the divided kingdom. What do you mean the divided kingdom? Well, uh, and I don't take for granted that everybody knows this. In the beginning, when the Jews became a nation, we understand that Saul was the first king. They were ma that was man's king. But then God raised up a ruler after his own heart by the name of David. There was David, then there was Solomon. At, but at the death of Solomon, there was a division in the kingdom. And it was split pretty much right down the middle. To the north, you had uh, Samaria was the capital, and it was referred to as Israel. To the north and to the south... The capital would have been there in Jerusalem, and it was referred to as Judah. And during this dividing kingdom is when Amos began to reign. Now, it was, a, it was a time of strength and security and stability because to the north, there's a fellow by the name of Jeroboam II, which was, was the king during this time. He reigned for 41 years. He reigned longer than anybody else to the north. And he reclaimed a lot of the territory that had been taken by foreign nations like Egypt and Assyria and even Syria. And a lot of it had been taken back when Jeroboam II had reclaimed it. And then to the south, you find a fellow by the name of Uzziah. You'll find him in the book of Isaiah, pretty much a godly king. And he was a rebuilder. He was a mighty warrior. But he intruded into the office of priesthood in a place where he shouldn't have been. And those men withstood him, but he didn't care. He went in anyways, and God struck him with leprosy. But for 52 years to the south, there was stability because they had a king in place. To the north, there was stability because there's 41 years where Jeroboam II was ministering. And it was a time of prosperity. We looked at the Word of God the other night, and it was a time of luxury. According to Amos chapter 3, it was a time of religious activity in Amos chapter number 4. There was enthusiastic uh, celebrations in Amos chapter number 5. But boy, I thought this was, and I, I looked at the parallel to Amos's day and our day, and Brother Brandon, there ain't much difference. Because in Amos chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5, Amos ministered during a time when making money was more important than the worship in God's house. And we see, you can look it up in chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5. 
And then it was a time of rich, the rich exploiting the poor, and justice was corrupt. Now, that's a time when Amos was ministering. There was stability. There was strength. There was security. There was prosperity. But the people of God were playing the harlots with all the little g-gods throughout the land of foreign nations. And they weren't worshiping the true God of heaven. But boy, God still had a message. And yeah, it might be considered a minor prophet by the name of Amos. But he had a major message to the people of God. And we look, there's three visions that you'll find in chapter number 7. The first that we dealt with the other night. The first three verses, he dealt with the grasshoppers. Uh, Amos got this vision from the Lord that, that God was going to send grasshoppers. What was that preacher? That was none other than locusts that would destroy the latter growth. And we looked at that in depth. Now the first growth would have been given as a tribute unto the king. It belonged unto him. And the latter growth or the second growth was what would sustain the people throughout that particular year. Well God was going to send it at a precise time. These grasshoppers, these locusts would come and they would attack the latter growth. So it would be complete devastation to Jacob and the nation of Israel because Amos primarily prophesied to the nation to the north there in Samaria where the capital was and he dealt with Bethel, the place of worship, Jeroboam the second, And of course Amaziah was that, that puppet priest that Amos, Amos had basically ministered unto. But as you look at this, there was three visions that he got. One was the grasshoppers, the second is the fire we're going to look at today. And then there was a plumb line. The first two, somebody made a difference. That's what I preached on on Wednesday night. Because God showed Amos what he was going to do with those grasshoppers and those locusts. What did Amos do? Man, he fought his battles on his knees. And he interceded on behalf of God's people. And God said, it shall not be. So in other words, he made a difference by his prayer. Can I still tell you, it's more than just a cliche. Prayer still changes things. Amen. I believe in prayer. We ought to pray. We look at the condition of our country. We look at people that are lost and on their way to a devil's hell. I tell you, it's time for God's people to get back on their knees and get over this thing of apathy. And I ain't talking about some 10-cent prayer, man. I'm talking about doing business with God. We need urgency. We need some fervency in our prayers, just like Elijah had in the book of James, where he fervently and earnestly prayed for it not to rain in the court and for it to rain again, and it sure did. But as we look at this, three visions that Amos had. The first was grasshoppers we looked at today. I want you to notice verse number four, this second vision that he received. And keep in mind, it's worth hitting again. Anytime I get talking about or preaching about visions, I make sure I hit this. A lot of folks say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a vision. I had a dream last night. God showed me this. No, you just eat something. Yeah, man. You just eat some onions or peppers or pizza. God doesn't reveal through those visions today. Amos did not have the 66 books of the Bible. He didn't have the canon of Scripture. I'm glad you and I have got the Word of God. God will speak to us through His Spirit and through His Word, and they'll always be in harmony one with the other. But Amos gets this vision because he was the spokesman. You see, there's something when you think about the word prophet, and this ain't in the notes, but i got to hit this. There's something that is called foretelling and forth-telling. There is a difference between the two. Amos was a foreteller because the people of God didn't have... I mean, they had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. But they did not have the revealed Word of God to them. So God would give a message into Amos and he would foretell to the people. Now, there's no foretellers today. There's no prophets today. I understand you go by and you'll even see signs. We got prophet so-and-so, or we got apostle so-and-so. There ain't no such a thing in this hour in which we live. Apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so. They were foretellers before the Word of God. Well, there's forth-telling as well, F-O-R-T-H, forth-telling. What does that mean? That's basically what I'm doing today. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Amen. That's what the preachers are to do. We don't foretell. We foretell what God has said in His Word. Can I get a witness right there? Well, Amos is foretelling the people of God living in luxury, 
A time when making money was more important than going to the house of God. All these things that they're dealing with were the rich were exploiting the poor. And, 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 and listen, there was corruption in the justice system. All that was going on, but God still had a word. And he says, I'm going to judge my people. He dealt with the grasshoppers, and then Amos interceded, and God stayed his hand. You're going to find that again right here in verse number 4. Notice what the Bible said. Thus hath the Lord God showed, Amos chapter 7 and verse 4, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? That word Jacob, again, just another name that's used simultaneously with the nation of Israel. And he said, Jacob arise, for he is small. And look at verse 6. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So he said in verse number 1, he's going to send grasshoppers. Brother Harold, Amos hit his knees and he beseeched the Lord. In other words, he begged God, God, please don't do this for Jacob's sake. He's small. In other words, in comparison to the other heathen nations of the world, he's very, very small. And so God stayed his hand. He said, it shall not be. Then he sends him this second vision of this devouring fire that's going to come in. Well, what did Amos do? I mean, man, it's deja vu. He hits his knees again, and he said, I beseech you, Lord. And the Lord said, it shall not be either. But I want you to notice a couple of things by way of introduction. I'll give you the thought here in just a second of this hour. But when you look at this text, he's talking about fire. This is a judgment. The first judgment that Amos seen was that of grasshoppers, which would attack above the ground. But what Amos sees now is going to penetrate the ground all the way to the root system. How do you know? Notice what the Bible said in verse 4. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. And we're just talking about the great deep. He's talking about the fountains underneath. Some believe that was the ocean. I believe it's the springs. And I, I got a lot of Bible. There's another message that goes along with this. And we'll preach that at some point if God will give us liberty too. But the fountains of the great deep, the springs of the earth, were dried up by this fire that God would send. As you study your Bible, numerous, numerous times you'll see where fire is used. But think about it. The first judgment, the locust would affect the ground. It would eat up the latter growth. But this fire is going to penetrate, according to the Word of God, even into the great deep, the fountains of the earth. Now, when fire comes, something always dies. You with me? When fire comes, something always dies. Now, naturally, fire spares nothing. It leaves nothing. Not even the outward form of what is destroyed. Christian and Gracie, we went up. Uh, Siloam Road past Glory Light uh, yesterday and right up past um, uh, the, the Marsh Farms up on the right, they were burning an old house down. And uh, basically you could see the foundation, but the walls and the roof where it once stood for many, many years, as long as I can remember the house was older than I am, was completely gone. Why was it gone? That fire had consumed it. And it left Things change. It spares nothing, leaves nothing. Not even the outward form of what is destroyed by fire. Now, when it comes to fire in the Word of God, did you know that there's the element of punishment? And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about judgment. Numerous times, God uses fire to judge individuals. He does that to judge nations. How do you know? Numerous times and time wouldn't permit us on this first point, but I'm going to hit a few of them. When you think about the element of punishment that God uses, oftentimes and frequently, God uses fire. Think about this. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 19, we think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember how wicked and sinful that place was? God destroyed it. He didn't destroy it with a flood. He destroyed it with fire. Genesis 19 and verse 24. Then the Lord 
rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. So stay with me here now because I, I, I want you to get this. The element of punishment that God used numerous times was fire. So he sent fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only that. Think about this in, in, in the context of number 16. You'll see that Dathan and Korah and Abraham rebelled against the authority of Moses, God's man. As a result of their rebellion, they wouldn't listen to what Moses had to say. The Bible said in Psalm 106, in verse number 17 and 18, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abraham, and a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up. The wicked. Where did that fire come from? It come from the Lord. Where did that fire come from? That destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It come from the Lord. Remember when when Egypt and God was leading Moses down there to lead the people out of the land of of Egypt, that bondage had been in for over 400 years. God sent by 10 plagues. Now get this. 10 plagues that he sent. The first was where the Nile was turned to blood. The second sister, Caitlin, would love this, was the, was the plague of frogs that God sent. Then the third plague was lice. Then the fourth was flies. The fifth was the disease of cattle. The sixth plague was balls on both man and cattle and beasts of the earth. The seventh plague was that of hail mingled with fire that we'll look at in just a second. Eight plague was locust. Ninth plague was darkness. And then the tenth plague was finally the death of the firstborn. But the seventh plague that God sent when the people of God were down in bondage so, so Pharaoh he was trying to get Pharaoh's attention and the Egyptians' attention. He's the seventh plague. He sent fire. How do you know? Exodus 9 verse 24. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. Very grievous. Such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Where did that fire come from, Brother Ed? It came from the Lord. You got Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed by fire. You got Dathan. You got Abraham. You got Korah destroyed with fire. You got the Egyptians with that hail mingled with fire destroyed. Then you look at 2 Kings chapter 1. Now the context of this. Ahaziah was the king of Israel. The Bible said in the first few verses of 2 Kings 1 that he fell in the lattice and, and he, he got messed up and he was very sick. Well, instead of inquiring of the Lord, he was such a wicked king and a wicked man that he went to inquire of Beelzebub uh, in Ekron. Well, as he went down, God got a hold of the man of God by the name of Elijah and said, man, I want you to stand and you go tell him he's going to die. Well, they, they, they told the messengers, went back, and they, they told Ahaziah. He said, who was it? He said, man, that's none other than Elijah. He said, you take 50 men, and you go down, and you tell him to come up. Well, those 50 men went down twice. Well, actually, three times. The first two times, they were consumed. The third time, they weren't. But listen to this. What did God use? 2 Kings 1 and verse 10. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. God allowed that fire to fall as judgment. If you with me, say amen. amen. Time and time again in the words of God. Even Jesus' disciples in the New Testament. They were familiar with God's use of fire. Jesus had come into a Samaritan city. And Brother Harold, the people had rejected him. You know what spiritual James and John said? Listen to this. Luke chapter 9 verse 54. And when his disciples James and John saw this because the village of Samaria received not the Lord Jesus. When his disciples James and John saw this. They said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did. Now they were thinking about the reference that I just read you out of 2 Kings chapter number 1. When those 50 were consumed, and old James and John, when they saw that Jesus was rejected, Lord, would you have us to call down fire for him? Because they were familiar that God used the element of punishment, judgment, by fire. Think about this. In the book of Revelation, when an individual dies, people go to a place called hell. Now, according to the Bible, according to the book of Matthew, hell was a place that was prepared for the devil 
and his angels. The Bible talks about where the fire is unquenched. It's a place of total darkness, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who in the world would sign up to go to a place like that? I tell you, those that reject Jesus Christ, period. That's it. That's who sign up to go to a place called hell just by simply rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. It's that simple. You say, well, man, I'm not a a biggest sinner is this or that. No, all have sinned come show the glory of God. And if you never come to that place and you respond by faith to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, one day you'll open up your eyes just like the rich man in Luke chapter number 16. And the Bible said he was tormented in this flame, that fire of judgment. But see, hell's that holding place. You say, man, I thought hell was eternal. Absolutely not. Hell's not eternal. You say, wait a minute, that's a new doctrine. I've heard my whole life that hell is eternal. Hell is not. Eternal is a holding place where individuals go. But there's going to come a day when those that are in that place of hell, and it's not going to be a second chance. It's not going to be another opportunity. They'll stand at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter number 20. It will not be a time of, of second opportunities or second chances. They will be cast into the lake of fire. Now that is eternal. Eternal separation from a thrice Holy God. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Eternal separation from God. You know what God's going to use to destroy this earth? One day a lot of folks say, man, we're, we're going to deal with flood, this, that, and that. Listen, God's never going to flood the earth again like he, he did in the days of Noah. How do you know that? God left a promise in the cloud with the rainbow. And a lot of times when that storm passes by, you can look and you'll see that rainbow. That's God's promise according to the Word of God that he'll never destroy the earth again by flood. But he will destroy it by fire one day. For the Word of God said this, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So this first thing I want you to see because I want you to be blessed here in just a minute. If you'll get this, I think it will bless you by the time we get done. The element of punishment was this. There was judgment and God would send fire. So there's the element of punishment. But we also think about fire. We think about the emblem of power. Fire is not not only an element of punishment that God used in the Bible, it's also an emblem of power. What are you talking about, preacher? Think about God the Father. Think about God the Son. Think about God the Holy Ghost. Think about the Word of God. Think about their association with fire. What are you talking about? Think about the emblem of power. Listen to this. Think about God the Father. Hebrews chapter number 12, and you can also go to Deuteronomy chapter number 4, and, and Deuteronomy chapter number 9, it states the same fact. But in Hebrews 12, 29, the Bible said, For our God is a consuming fire. That's the emblem of His power. Now, He's a consuming, power, uh, he's, he's a consuming fire. But now listen, God gives us a free will. Now, God will not necessarily stop you from what you're doing. But you will not stop God when he judges you. And he judges me. Why? Because he is a consuming fire. Just like that fire that was engulfing that house and where the the roof once stood and the walls and the doors and the windows. Now it's gone because it's been devoured and consumed by fire. So God the Father is confirmed or, or, or certainly is an emblem of, of a consuming fire. But think about the Son. God the Son, how's He likened unto a fire? Well, the Bible tells us. When He returns in Second Thessalonians, now listen, First Thessalonians, He comes for His church. Second Thessalonians, He comes with His church. And the Bible said in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, John chapter 5, and verse 22, The Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. God the Father is seen as a consuming fire. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He appears at the second coming, comes back to earth, and we're, we'll be with Him, by the way, uh, when we come back with Him. He's going to come with flaming 
fire. So you got God the Father, God the Son. This fire is an emblem of power to God the Father, God the Son. What about God the Holy Ghost? Well, listen to this. Matthew chapter number 3 in the words of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Think about the day of Pentecost. Permanent abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of God descended on that day. People from different nationalities, Brother Harold, were gathered around on that day. And uh, man, God, God dealt with the hearts of Peter around that pulpit and he preached the word of God. They heard the word in their own native language. Well, listen to this. In Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 3 and 4, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You say, what was those tongues? It was a language, man. There was different nationalities there, but every person came, heard the gospel in their own native language. God touched those individuals. They set on them as cloven tongues as of a fire. Those men weren't trained in languages, but the Holy Spirit of God dealt with that heart, gave them wisdom to preach in a, in a way where they could understand in their own native tongue. And the Holy Ghost is pictured as a fire. So you got God the Father consuming fire. The Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Thessalonians, coming in flaming fire. You got the Holy Spirit of God, Ghost or the, uh, the Spirit of God. We understand he, he's gonna, uh, he baptized with fire, and we understand that. And think about this fire is the refiner's best friend because that fire remo- removes all the impurities. You know what will remove those impurities? And I don't have time to preach this, but Ephesians chapter number 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You get filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the fire of the Spirit will remove those impurities from your life. But what about the Word of God? What about the emblem of power and and fire? How is it associated? Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces. You know what I'm saying, man, sometimes, and I remember, and sometimes uh, one of the worst things I miss being a pastor is getting preached to myself. But man, I've seen it and I've listened and man, the Word of God is like a hammer that just breaks you to pieces. It's like a fire that, that, that sets you off on the inside. And man, that's what the Word of God will do. Man, it's, this is the, hey folks, this ain't a dead book. This ain't some dead a fairy tale that I'm talking to you about today. Man, it's something that's real. It's something that will change your life. It's something that will deal with your heart today. If, if you'll listen by faith, faith coming by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I don't like to preach ideas. I don't like to preach mythology or an almanac or, or some, some uh, uh, um, article, this that, newspaper clip. Man, I want to preach to you the Word of God because the Word of God is what will help you. That's the fire that will work on the inside of you. But sometimes, man, it's like a hammer. That'll break things to pieces According to the word of God Listen to this Listen to what Jeremiah said Jeremiah 20 verse number 9 Then said I I will not make mention of him Nor speak anymore in his name But his word was in my heart As a burning fire Shut up in my bones And I was weary with forbearing And I could not stay What was Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah brother Harold Was facing ridicule He was facing mockery People didn't like him Because he was simply Preaching the word of God I tell you preachers today That'll preach the word of God Not everybody's going to like that Amen. Not everybody's going to appreciate that. Man, you're getting in my tater patch, preacher. Listen, I ain't getting in your. I'm just a delivery boy, man. I have to deal with every message I have to bring to you. It's not personal. It's from the throne room of God. God deals with hearts. But Jeremiah said, man, I'm not going to do it anymore. But his word was like a fire shut up in his body. In other words, Jeremiah couldn't help, Brother Ed, but preach what God told him to preach. But you think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. You think about the Word of God. All those are emblems of power associated with fire. We think about uh, the first point that we look at, the element of fire. He uses a punishment for fire. But I want you to notice this. This is what God showed me. Now, now get this. This this right here is going to be real, real short. This third point I want to give you. There's the exemption from peril. Now, that word peril is danger. The exemption. Are there some folks that are exempt? From the punishment of God? You better believe it. Yeah, man. Are there some folks that are exempt from the judgment of God? You better believe it. There's an exemption from peril. And it's found in the page of Scripture. I've read over this, Brother Kevin, numerous, numerous times. And I never saw this till yesterday afternoon. And God just sort of, I already had a message in place. But this is God's message for the hour. And let this bless your heart. Look, look at me again in verse 4. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, 
And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. So this fire is coming. Now, according to the Word of God, it's an element that God used. Amos was well aware. The people would be well aware that God, through the ages, had used the element of punishment. He often used fire. Amos would also know it was the emblem of God's power. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 talks about God being that consuming fire that I read out of Hebrews chapter number 12. He would be familiar with that. But there's an exemption from peril. And how do you know? As we read on, notice what it said. Behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep. And I promise you, if the Lord gives me breath, it gives me an opportunity at some point, I will preach on that and show you the great fountains of the deep, according to the Word of God, that were dried up by this fire. The locust, they dealt above ground. But here this fire would go subterranean and would drain the lands, and God allowed him to see it. But notice this next phrase. Talks about the fire. Talks about devouring the great deep. Watch this now. And did eat up a part. A part. Now, you might not get it. It may not bless you, and I, I hope it will. But the Bible said it burned up a part. Now, I'm not an English major. I, I, I'm not that really that educated, I don't feel like. I'm not that intellectual. But I do know this. If a part is consumed and devoured and burned up, that means there's a part that's not. Yep, man. There's a part that ain't devoured. There's a part that ain't consumed. There's a part that ain't going to be judged. There's an exemption if you will. You look at the element of punishment. Yep, it's fire. Look at the emblem of power. Yep, it's fire. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God the Word of God. But there's an exemption from peril and danger because there's a remnant. Evidently, God allowed him to see the great deep subterranean were dried up and a part was devoured, but part of it was not. Can I say this? God has always had a remnant in every generation. He'll always have a remnant. Thank God you and I ought to rejoice right there. Listen to this now. In Isaiah chapter number 37. Now context of this, the Assyrians have come. They besieged the land, but God gives them a promise. They're not coming to Jerusalem because God was going to defend the city. And listen to what it said in Isaiah 37 and verse 31. And the remnant that is escaped out of the house of Judah shall again take Take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Now God said here in just a minute that, you know, the Assyrians are coming. But listen, you're going to be spared. There's going to be a remnant that's going to be exempt from the attacks of the judgment of the Assyrians. He goes on to say in that same chapter a few verses later in Isaiah 37 and verse 35. For, and this is God speaking. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Listen, God said, I'm going to defend this city for my own sake. When you got God in your defense, in your corner, and as a defense attorney, you can't lose a battle, you can't lose a case. Man, you're on the winning. It be a good day for our choir to sing, I'm on the winning side. Because when you yoke up by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, automatically, man, He's going to defend you. He's going to stand for you. He's going to secure you. He's going to hold you that you can't be moved. They just sang that song. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the exemptions of peril and danger that God gives you and I an opportunity to miss the wrath of God that's coming to an unbelieving and ungodly, unworldly society. That's what's coming. And God makes an exemption through His Son. I think about other exemption, Sister Savannah's coming. Other exemption that God gives. Matthew 24 and verse 22, when it comes to the tribulation period. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But God made an exemption, for He said, But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. You see, there was an exemption. Think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. For God, this applies to you and I. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. 
by our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that God all, and if you ain't heard nothing, you get this now. God always gives a warning before he sends judgment. Always sends a warning before judgment is meted out. How do you know in Luke chapter number 3, in verse number 3 and in verse number 5, Jesus said it two times. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So what God says is going to happen. Everybody's going to perish except ye repent. But Brother Harold, he gave the warning. Except ye repent, there's the solution. Ye shall all likewise perish. It's up to you. You've got a free will. You've got a free choice. You can repent or you can just continue going down the road you're going. If you head down that road, you're going to perish. You're going to be just like that rich man, Luke 16. You're going to open your eyes to a place called hell. Eventually, you'll be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 and verse 3. And there's no excuse for anybody to do that. Because God made a way and he gave a warning. 2 Peter chapter 2 or 3 and verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slightest, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, none whatsoever. Why? Because he lays out warnings. He gives folks an opportunity. He gives you an opportunity today. Because the bottom line is this you and I that are saved, we ought to rejoice, man, that we've been given an exemption from the peril. The, only, uh, the Prim de Quartet sings a song, The only fire I'll ever feel is burning in my heart. You know why that's possible? Because my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's it. That's it. Because I've been clothed in His righteousness. My righteousness would never be enough. But that's the exemption that I was given. That's the exemption you've been given if you've been saved by the grace of God today. But when I look at that text, and I looked at that numerous times, and man, maybe you didn't get it, but I'll tell you it blessed fire out of me. Because you know what that crowd was, that part? There was a fireproof crowd. (laughs) A fireproof crowd. Because they had somebody in their corner that was going to defend them. That was going to stand in their behalf. And boy, I'm glad we got somebody that stands in our behalf and defends us as well. I'm glad I'm part of the fireproof. We might be the minority, but thank God for the blessings of the Lord that He gives us. God allowed him to see this great devouring fire. But there was a part that was devoured. But that means part of it was not. I'm glad to be in that exemption group. Do you know Jesus Christ, your Savior today? If you do, man, you ought to rejoice just to say, Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to go to hell. What's that song our our youth choir sings, Brother Brandon? Uh, What is that called? I'm not going to hell. Yes, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. We ought to rejoice. We ought not just ho-hum, ho-hum. Man, you, you don't have to go to hell. Because you saved. That's something to praise the Lord about. But if you're here today and you've never been forgiven, God sends a warning. You need to be saved. Think about this. If there, the bridge was out down here on 421 or over my way, Siloam Road. Bridge is out. And they got a sign up there about Sister Mary's house going down Siloam Road. Big flashing lights. Bridge out, bridge out, bridge out. Barricades sitting in front of them. How many would just ignore those signs and ignore those barricades and just plunge right over into the Yadkin River? You say, man, that'd be foolish, preacher. It would be. i tell you something even more foolish than that. God says, I'll forgive you of any and every sin you've ever committed, but you've got to come unto me. All come unto me, heavy, and la- heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what he said. If you need Jesus today, the Bible said today is salvation. You're part of that fireproof crowd. You are if you know Jesus. If you ain't, listen, you're going to feel the flames of hell one day, and it'll be too late. And there's no excuse for it to die lost. So we stand all over the house. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I sure do thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I thank you for the privilege to stand and preach the message of the hour. God, I've done my very best, Lord, to deliver the message of the hour. And God, I thank you for that part that wouldn't consume. Lord, it just reminds me, Lord, you made an exemption. Those who got a personal relationship with Jesus. And Lord, I ask today if there's one amongst us or listening in by way of the radio or the CD ministry, Lord, the telephone, the live stream, Facebook. God, if they're not saved, maybe even in the confines of their home, God, I pray to trust Christ today. Lord, have that exemption to become fireproof. Thank you for your word. 
God, help us to be faithful during these days, and we'll give you thanks. We ask it in Jesus' name. Even heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10.13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, and if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. 
If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.